How did one major retailer manage to thrive during the pandemic? There are challenges ahead for COVID-19 vaccine distribution and a building boom for new logistics facilities. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by DCV TV. Five channels of streaming video are yours for the viewing on DCV TV. Major improvements have recently been made to the DCV TV platform to enhance the viewing experience, provide greater search capabilities, and to expand the capacity of the video library well beyond the 3,000 plus videos already in the archive. Be sure to check it all out at dcvtv.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin, Tractor Supply has managed not only to hold its own during the pandemic, but to basically thrive. Part of that is due to being an essential business with the kinds of goods that people need, but it is also due to some fast pivoting that the company did to address changes in how consumers make purchases in the midst of a pandemic. Earlier this week, I talked to Colin Yankee of Tractor Supply about what his company has done right during the most challenging year of 2020. Here now is our discussion. Joining me now is Colin Yankee, Chief Supply Chain Officer for Retailer Tractor Supply. Welcome, Colin. Thanks for joining us. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. And while you have many stores around the country, there may be some listeners who are not familiar with Tractor Supply. Um, first of all, your main line of business is not really tractors, is it? Can you tell us more about your company? It is not. So uh, Tractor Supply uh, has been operating since 1938, started out as a mail order tractor parts uh, company, sending out to uh, small farmers their, the parts they needed. Uh, but the business has evolved um, over that 80 plus years. And we operate uh, over 1,900 stores in 49 states today, publicly traded on the NASDAQ as TSCO. We have about $10 billion in revenue uh, this year. And we sell everything people need for what we call the out here lifestyle. It's really a lifestyle brand where we um, provide product all the way from workwear and uh, footwear for people out on the job site to animal food and feed for people's pets and their, uh, and their livestock, um, as well as services for, for their animals, to truck tool and hardware parts, um, all the way to make model specific parts for a particular piece of equipment they may have, and then seasonal goods uh, that help them support their land, their livestock, their livelihood, and uh, and their families. So, well, in a couple stores, we actually do sell tractors. Um, it, it, we we sell basically everything you need to uh, to live um, out in the in the country and and uh, be self sufficient. As you mentioned, a lot of your stores are in rural areas, but I live here in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, and there's a tractor supply about a mile from me that I frequent quite often. So you've also made inroads into a lot of the urban areas as well with your with your stores. Yeah, we 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 have uh, part of that is uh, as the suburbs have moved out into the country, and as our store footprint has increased, um, that has uh, has changed uh, the nature of some of our stores. We have a very localized assortment mix where uh, you know you may be in um, Texas and uh, we have a store near oil fields, and so we will cater to that. Uh, customer, 
or you may be in the suburbs in, in Pittsburgh and we'll have more of a, of, a, of a pet kind of assortment or a gardening type of assortment for, the, for that customer. Yeah, that obviously presents some supply chain challenges to be able to accommodate those different kinds of inventories in all the different stores that you have. It, it, it does. Um, it means we're uh, the hyper localization means that we need to be very uh, clear with um, you know, what are what's the assortment level at each store. Um, what the inventory position is, each of the distribution centers. Uh, there's a highly seasonal nature of our business, uh, very weather dependent in many cases. Um, so how much uh, inventory do we have for deployed stores in the DCs, moving from our suppliers um, based upon the time of the year? And so I think a great example for uh, the listeners of, of the podcast is we have a distribution center in Kentucky that services about 290 stores all the way from Ohio down to Louisiana. And obviously spring happens in different times in different places um, within that geographic region. And that one DC can be servicing spring goods and winter goods all at the same time. And beyond that kind of complexity, of course, 2020 has brought us COVID-19, which has added a lot more complexity to supply chains. Like all businesses, you've had to adapt very quickly to a new normal what major effects did it really have on your company and your supply chain? We've been fortunate uh, to be an essential retailer throughout this entire experience. And uh, for, for us, we started monitoring the whole COVID phenomena and pandemic um, when it was still contained over in, in China because of our direct import product. And we were looking at mostly from an operational perspective on how is it impacting the flow of our goods um, into the United States for um, you know spring and summer selling type of seasons, but then it was really March where uh, things you know, really hit home here in the U.S. I think uh, for for everybody who'd be listening to this, and um, you know for us you know that that meant decentralizing our workforce, but while being a central uh, retailer, um, navigating through the various local requirements uh, to continue our operations because we were selling. Um, animal food and feed and pharmaceuticals and items that people were, um, you know, really stocking up on in those early kind of days. That had a ripple effect uh, through our supply chain, just as we've seen in in many other kind of staple and commodity categories. So we had to be very responsive with replenishing those kind of commodity products uh, that people had stocked up on. But then as, uh, you know, customers were spending more time at home in their backyards and having the focus of um, you know, improving their homes, improving their, their uh, landscape uh, instead of you know, traveling or, or going on different experiences. Um, you know, we saw uh, you know, the spring and summer goods really kind of take off and that meant we had to um, you know, support that increased volume. We've had two consecutive quarters of plus 30% um, sales increases. That's obviously put a big strain on our um, distribution center network, uh, having to step up to that volume, big strain on our, our uh, supplier base, having to step up to that and to do so while taking care of the health and safety of their, their team members. Um, so that has, has just really tried to increase our collaboration for our supply chain from an end-to-end perspective. Yeah, you definitely have to be adaptable to be able to handle that kind of an increase in volumes as well as all the other changes that went with it. So let's break this down a little bit. You mentioned about um, China and uh, your direct shipments from there. Did you have to change any of your product sourcing as you went along because of where goods were manufactured? We have. So I think this uh, this 
this experience really exercised some muscles that already existed um, and just really kind of traded on some of our existing processes. So we do our product assortment reviews. We're consistently reevaluating our sourcing. And COVID is really just a new chapter in, a, in what's been a pretty, pretty active couple of years. Um, for context, we adopt a total landed cost view when we evaluate our assortment. So that includes product cost, where we source from, freight terms, stem miles, packaging, um, all those things through the DC, ultimately to the store, to the customer's doorstep. And uh, we, because we have a highly seasonal business, we've been adapting our supply chain over the last few years to look at, um, do we source uh, imported goods uh, for the initial set of type product and then uh, replenish from a more domestic type of supply base so we can be a lot more nimble with uh, replenishment based upon sales. Um, and then in 2018, with tariffs on steel and aluminum, that forced us to change some of our sourcing as we looked at uh, materials and goods that had a lot of those kind of inputs into it. Um, not only just things that we sell, but also things like um, our racking, material handling equipment, and items that went into new DC construction. And then the Section 301 tariffs shifted some production sources, either still being imported, just but just not from China, or uh, we moved some production here to the US and into Mexico. And we ran many of those same evaluations for our response to COVID. Uh, but it wasn't just through the lens of cost, it was through the lens of reliability and supply chain resilience. Um, I think in the in the near term, for us, it's been about shifting sourcing to help our suppliers as they've adjusted workplace hygiene protocols and labor availability and, and kind of the transportation disruption that we're experiencing um, over the last six months. And that cycle hasn't really stopped. We're here in November 2020, um, and there's immense disruption in the ocean transportation market right now. So we're looking at our product sourcing and flow for 2021 and adapting what is imported and uh, what's domestic based upon those terms. Data is obviously very important with the complex supply chain that you have. And you've done very well at levering data from your stores, from point of sale, as well as throughout the supply chain. Can you tell us a little bit about how COVID may have affected some of, of how you process and use that data? Sure. We, um, we use both structured and unstructured data in, in adjusting our operations. So that can include information from stores and online sales, credit card and loyalty program information, um, insights from our call center, from our call volume that's coming from our customers and from our stores. Um, then we, we take that and we integrate with you know, town hall discussions that we have from our, our team members in our stores, um, sales meeting feedback that we have every week from our uh, regional leaders that are out there interacting with customers, our suppliers, and then we combine that with market intelligence from economists um, and then other kind of customer feedback. And that data impacts everything from our store staffing. Uh, so how much do we staff a store? What, what hours of operations? To refining our product assortment, to shifting our customer communications from print media to TV or digital. From a supply chain perspective, our big focus has been on applying data to coordinate activities across the value chain. So from our planning team to our suppliers, to our carriers, through the DCs and to the stores. And uh, for us, we've really been trying to use data to solve a couple of problems. First is getting earlier visibility to vendor production and transportation issues and using that information as a leading indicator. 
then applying those leading indicators um, to be more proactive with how do we allocate inventory, shift our transportation plans, adjust our DC labor plans and our daily kind of staffing uh, based upon demand. And then how do we use that information to communicate across the organization? So how do we share with our merchants about um, any type of in-stock issues? Um, how do we share that with our space planning team in case we're gonna to need to adjust our store layouts um, based upon um, adjustments? And, uh, and how do we communicate that to our finance organization so that we can um, really kind of forecast what the, what the sales and, and operating margin impacts will be and ultimately, how do we use that to be the best uh, supplier for our customers? Like all retailers, your business focus has adjusted quite a bit with people staying at home or, or at least not venturing into stores as much as they had before. So you talked about some of your, your sales have increased, and I imagine a large portion of that has been your online business. How has that changed the way your DCs operate, and how are you working to fulfill those orders? Are they all coming from the DC? Are you doing a lot of shift from store? or exactly what are you doing now? Sure, um, so we've been on a, a multi-year journey to activate inventory everywhere. And as a, as a multi-channel retailer, uh, we have our stores and our DCs. And that's been a, a, a multiple year effort to uh, activate buy online pickup and store in every one of our stores. Um, each of our distribution centers not only supports store replenishment, but also can fulfill directly to the customer. And so that we have that opportunity to use inventory wherever it sits in a variety of kind of ways. What we saw with, uh, with COVID was the acceleration of trends that we thought were going to take two or three years for customer adoption. They got compressed uh, down to like two or three weeks in, in some cases um, where customers started leveraging buy online pickup in store a lot more. Um, to reserve inventory and to have that kind of contactless experience. Um, we had already had curbside pickup in all of our stores, but that volume definitely picked up. And then uh, uh, customers have been using um, our same day delivery options out of all of our stores much more actively as well. At the same time, our, our distribution centers, we've seen about a uh, 3x increase in the daily volume uh, for our direct fulfillment out of our DCs. And uh, the, the DCs have handled that very well. That's you know uh, meant we've had to hire and staff more, um, both in our stores and in our DCs to support uh, that shift towards uh, the, the digital fulfillment. And looking forward, um, you know, as many operators know, it's not the daily volume that's the challenge, it's the uh, peak. Uh, jump that that we're going to experience during the fall period uh, that is that is the big challenge so that's what we're really focused on now is how do we get as much throughput through our DCs as possible how do we staff and prepare for that how do we have product prepackaged so that it moves very quickly and how do we have inventory positioned in the right place either in our stores or in our DCs uh, to, to best meet what we think is going to be the, the customer um, engagement method Colin, what are some of the trends that you're seeing that you're tracking that will help you carry through through the end of the pandemic in 2021? Absolutely. We think um, that uh, the trends we have seen so far through 2020 around uh, customers engaging more digitally um, and uh, spending time on their homes and uh, with their families is going to continue through uh, 2021. 
so we are uh, preparing for that. Um, we are seeing a, a lot of disruption in the import market right now with imbalances of, of equipment for uh, the kind of international trade uh, from Asia into the, the US. And so we're tracking that very carefully and looking at um, how do we adjust our ordering patterns in support of that and uh, our, our uh, shift in sourcing. Um, we also see uh, the continued trend for online fulfillment. So we're continuing to invest in our uh, fulfillment capabilities out of our DCs and expanding our ship from store capabilities. And that is going to be, I think, the, the trend that's going to stick with us for 2021, 2022, and beyond with the, with the continuing increase in direct-to-customer fulfillment. I think the evolution of stores with more services and fulfillment methods um, and the focus on resilience uh, that stores give you with meeting customer demand it's going to put a challenge on um, how do you forecast inventory positioning and that is going to be i think a big investment in talent and tools for figuring out where's the best place to position inventory um, is it in a dc is it in a store and what how's the customer going to want to interact with that inventory are they going to want to buy it in, uh, uh, and have it fulfilled from a store buy and have it fulfilled from a DC to their home? Um, are they going to want to pick it up themselves? Are they going to have it delivered? Um, and then, the, then uh, the type of product that is, whether it's something that's easily moved through the small package network, or if it's something that is a, a larger kind of bulkier item that customers are getting much more uh, comfortable with having delivered directly to their home. And so that's going to change uh, inventory planning immensely. Yeah, those are going to be some huge shifts. Colin, you mentioned recently at the Gardner Supply Chain Conference that uh, it, that every company should be looking at industry leaders to help show the way. Who for you is that industry leader that you look to? David, I, I don't think there's one for us. Uh, one thing I, I love about supply chain is that there's an openness to sharing in the profession. And I think professionals in this area understand that the success of the supply chain their supply chain in particular is the combination of all their capabilities, not just one tool or system or piece of automation. And because of that, there isn't one leader that we look to attract or supply when we're looking to benchmark. When we're looking to improve an existing capability, mature our operations or try something new, uh, we use our, our network across retail, our carriers, their customers, our suppliers, our software providers, our automation providers, and their customers and their extended network to find great reference points. Um, so for example, in the last couple of months, we've had conversations with a pure apparel retailer to discuss order management system logic for fulfillment. We've done some compare and contrast on organizational design with a company in the beauty space. We've shared our perspective on transportation visibility and sales and operations planning with a food and beverage company that was looking at, at us as a benchmark. Um, so I think imitation may be the sincerest form of flattery, but it would be a terrible method to pull from just one example as you're, as you're looking to uh, benchmark within your supply chain. I think we have something we can learn from everybody and something we can teach everybody. And that's one of the great things about uh, the openness of the supply chain profession. Well, I like that answer, Colin, because that's why we exist, to be able to share these good ideas and help everyone improve their supply chains. Yeah. 
We've been talking to Colin Yankee, Chief Supply Chain Officer at Tractor Supply. Thank you, Colin, for being with us today. Thank you, David. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Victoria, you reported on some of the logistical concerns for distributing COVID-19 vaccines once they are ready. Can you tell us more? Sure, Dave, thanks. Uh, this issue came up earlier this week as I was attending portions of the Coalition for New England Companies for Trade, their uh, 2020 Northeast Cargo Symposium. They're also known as CONNECT, uh, C-O-N-E-C-T. They represent New England companies uh, involved in international trade, and this meeting covered a range of topics, but top of mind, of course, was the recent election and what issues may dominate the legislative agenda in Washington in the months ahead. Uh, their DC-based legal counsel, Peter Friedman, in a couple of presentations, uh, emphasized that, of course, COVID-19 will continue to dominate the economic landscape, especially in logistics, where, as you say, concerns over distribution of a COVID-19 vaccine loom large. And that's because early vaccines by pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer, which we heard a lot about this week, and Moderna, they have to be transported at ultra low temperatures, um, as low as minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit. And essentially the cold chain has limited to no capacity to handle that at this point, which is gonna cause a lot of distribution challenges. Essentially the distribution of this is gonna look probably very different than, than we're accustomed to when uh, vaccines come out. The good news is that vaccines expect, expected early in 2021, there are some that we're expecting in the February to March timeframe, we'll have less stringent um, freezer requirements or different requirements, and that'll make it much easier um, to distribute. So there's a lot to be worked out along this, uh, around this, and, and certainly it's one thing that we're gonna pay a lot of attention to. Another issue that came up uh, was trade. And Friedman mentioned that business leaders should expect the uh, tariffs on Chinese imports to remain intact at least through the fall of 2021 under an anticipated new administration. And that's because he cited there's been little opposition to those tariffs in Congress over the past three and a half years. And he said there's actually probably a lot of uh, Democratic support for them. Uh, so those, that's another issue that we'll want to watch. Uh, Victoria, what other legislative issues should logistics professionals watch? Well, a big one on many minds, of course, is infrastructure. But um, in the sessions that I said and on, they said, you know, that's likely to continue to take a backseat to the more pressing concerns of the pandemic. And that's because they both require a lot of spending. And again, COVID-19 is, is the most pressing issue right now. Other issues include um, climate change and emission standards and a potential $15 an hour federal minimum wage. Um, but those things largely depend on how things are going to play out in Congress. As we all know, there are runoff elections in Georgia slated for January that will likely determine who controls the Senate. And on top of that, Democrat losses in the House have narrowed the party's majority and will likely you know, modify its progressive wing. So essentially, there are a lot of questions that need to be answered before we can tell how some of these other issues are going to play out. So a lot to keep an eye on. Yeah, we'll definitely keep our eyes certainly on Washington, focusing on Washington as well as Georgia during the next couple of months. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Victoria. Right. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And Ben, you reported this week on a bit of a building boom when it comes to investments in the construction of new logistics facilities. Why is this happening now considering the uneven economy we are experiencing? That's exactly right, Dave. Uh, and uneven is, is a, uh, an understatement of the year for the economy that the uh, sector has been surviving so far this year. Um, the, the short answer is e-commerce, of course. Uh, and it, for some context around this, um, the construction uh, sector nationwide uh, between 2009 and 2019, so for the previous decade, uh, had gone through uh, an, a tremendous boom um, that, that's counting all kinds of building. That's you know single family housing and uh, institutional buildings and manufacturing plants and, and the whole works. 
but when coronavirus arrived, it, it stopped that trend abruptly. Uh, so the overall construction market uh, went into a, a steep decline. It has gone into it this year so far, uh, forecast uh, to drop 14% after all that rising over the past decade. Uh, and all these statistics uh, are from a New Jersey-based group called Dodge Data and Analytics, uh, who's a market forecasting firm in uh, commercial construction. Uh, but one exception stands out from all that uh, all that red ink, uh, and that's warehouse starts. Um, in fact, I also heard another report this week uh, from Jones Lang LaSalle, which is another real estate uh, firm that uh, some of our readers may be familiar with, uh, saying that demand for logistics space has bounced back sharply over the past quarter, uh, that would be the second quarter of 2020, uh, hitting record or near record levels. Uh, and that's even in the, in the depths of, of uh, you know, stay-at-home orders and lockdowns. Um, and, and that was particularly led by e-commerce companies, um, that they had some sort of specialty development that were going on to drive that uh, growth. And that was um, increase in last mile logistics facilities uh, as online retailing grows. Uh, another one was the conversion of retail facilities into logistics facilities in uh, dense urban areas. Uh, and a third one was uh, rising demand for cold storage, uh, for food and beverage, and also for life sciences, uh, to touch on uh, some of what Victoria was talking about with uh, pending concern about uh, vaccine distribution. Uh, so back to Dodge's numbers, um, that, that kind of thing is expected to resume uh, heading into 2021, uh, which is right around the corner, of course. Uh, and a lot of those uh, projects are led by uh, Amazon in particular, uh, who's been building a fast rising number of uh, mega ware warehouses, where each of them uh, is bigger than a million square feet. Uh, so it, it's uh, really interesting to see uh, what some of the growth areas are. Yeah, it is. Uh, did those reports make any forecasts about when we can expect to see the rest of the economy also start to recover? Well, they did, um, and you know, it, 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 the answer is it's complicated. Um, Victoria touched on several of the reasons there uh, because of uh, how recent election results uh, turned out. Uh, it, it seems that most likely the federal government is on track uh, to have a, a, a mixture of leaderships between uh, what looks to be a Democratic White House and House of Representatives and a, probably a Republican Senate. Um, so that may uh, moderate what some of the federal spending is uh, to get the fuller economy uh, back on its feet. Uh, our listeners uh, will probably remember that that kind of federal uh, funding made a big difference uh, to the economy back in the spring when Congress passed the stimulus acts, uh, the, the CARES Act in March, uh, and that included the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP. Um, but that effect uh, has worn off pretty quickly uh, since the CARES Act largely expired in July and the PPP um, in August. Uh, and since then, Congress hasn't been able to agree on passing a second round of stimulus funding, um, which is really one of the levers, um, according to the Dodge forecast, that the fuller economy is going to need to progress. So uh, right now, Dodge is uh, forecasting that it might take until the first quarter of 2021 until we see more stimulus uh, funds. Uh, and if, if that comes to be, uh, then that could help the economy return to stronger growth uh, by the second quarter of 2021. And it can't happen too soon for most of us. Thanks, Ben. Sure thing. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. Go there to check it all out. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights of the news this week. Glad to be here. Yes, glad to be here. Thanks, Dave. And again, our thanks to Colin Yankee of Tractor Supply for being with us today. We encourage your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to rate this podcast if your podcast platform allows for that. We appreciate your feedback. 
DC Velocity also has a special offer for our listeners. You can get a complimentary copy of this year's State of the Retail Supply Chain Report. This annual review of retail supply chains is the result of research collaboration between Auburn University's Center for Supply Chain Innovation, the Retail Industry Leaders Association, also known as RELA, and DC Velocity. This ninth installment of the study covers the hyperspeed omnichannel retail environment and its pandemic-fed acceleration. Download your free copy today by going to dcvelocity.com retail. We encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Logistics Matters to find us. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, so be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.